Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ tissue and eye donation and transplantation. You can always find us at thegiftedlife.org. Tell your friends. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. And I'm Nyla Schwab. Coming up on this episode of The Gifted Life. A California prosecutor who is facing death used his own story to influence a lifetime of change in bone marrow donation. Also, in my toolbox, I'm going to tell you what's in it, but I'm going to ask you what's in your toolbox, Joey and Lori. Making me think. All that more here on The Gifted Life. Hang on. Here on The Gifted Life podcast, we want to introduce you to our newest friend, Charlie Wong. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you guys? We are so great. We are honored to be able to speak to you. We know that you've been making headlines in California. Uh, By day, you're a prosecutor. Uh, You're also a caped crusader because you're trying to save more lives using your personal story. So uh, we are so honored that you took the time to speak with us and and, uh, help our listeners and ourselves learn more about what it is that you've been fighting for and the change that is coming to California. Um, Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. So so talk to us about uh, your day job and how that transitioned into where we are now and why we're here talking today. Uh, so I am a lawyer by day. I work as a prosecutor in the Bay Area in Santa Clara County. I have a background in the law, reading all kinds of statutes and understanding kind of the legislative process and so on and so forth as a, as a background and context uh, as into what I do every day. That's what your day job is. And then and then years ago, all of a sudden, you know, you've everything was going great in your life and then something happened. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. I was in the middle of a murder trial. And I started to not feel too well. I started to, I caught a cold from my daughter. And um, throughout the course of the trial, I just couldn't shake that cold. It it got progressively worse. My head started to hurt. I was having these headaches and then fatigue. And um, I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Um, It was a fairly long trial. It was like a three-month long trial. And from beginning to end, my cold just didn't get better and I felt weaker and sicker. So at the end of the trial, I went to the doctors and tried to figure out what was happening. They told me, um, I have a really stressful job. I should just take some time off and uh, and try to recover. Maybe it was stress related. So I, I took a week off and I felt even worse and even weaker and to the point where I could not make it up the stairs. Um, of my house until finally we got a blood test and and they told me that I was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of leukemia. Wow. So that was uh, that was pretty devastating. Right. <laughs> and and so uh, when most of us here and, I, and as I remember, it's a, uh, the AML that you you uh, your leukemia. Yes. AML. So, of course, you know. I'm clinical, so I do, you know, work with, uh, I've seen it obviously in, in, in the hospital setting, but what was your first thought when you heard, I have cancer, I have leukemia? Oh my God. You just never think it would happen to you. Um, 
relatively young, relatively healthy, you know, no, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't do drugs. You don't think mm. it would ever happen to you or anyone close to you. And it was absolutely devastating. But, you know, with that in mind, I, I knew it was aggressive. They said uh, the doctors had told me that there were uh, methods of chemotherapy that would sometimes cure um folks with AML, um, depending on what the diagnosis was and the type of AML. So we went through um, a pretty intensive regimen of chemotherapy, hoping that it would work. Um, so the chemotherapy regimen was was about half a year long, four months to half a year long. You know, you, the whole, the, all the terrible side effects, the hair loss, the appetite, the weakness, and everything else that came with it. Um, we we made it through that. And unfortunately, a year after the chemotherapy regimen, um, I relapsed. And I was told that the chemotherapy did not work. And really, the only way to save me um, was through a bone marrow transplant. So... That was pretty shocking. Yeah, yeah. and I, and again, you know, so we speak about organ donation and transplant and tissue donation and transplant. Did you ha did you ever have any uh, understanding or or come into con contact with someone who had had a bone marrow transplant? Was this something you, you had even have ever heard of before? No, it was so new to me. I mean, of course, in the back of my mind, as I was going through the initial round of chemotherapy, I was thinking, well, if this doesn't work, I wonder what the next steps were, and and I, I, you know, did some little bit of research, but um, just hoping to not ever have to to consider that or worry about that. And um, when I relapsed, I started to really learn more about it and and the difficulties um, with bone marrow transplant and and mostly finding a good match for folks. And you know, even with a bone marrow transplant, the success rate isn't fantastic, but it is certainly I think one of the only ways to to find a cure for such an aggressive leukemia um, and and help me stay alive a little bit longer. Um, and so I was uh, heading down that road and the doctors told me that I would have to go back and do a very strenuous round of chemo again to try to get back in remission. So that was the very first step. In order to even qualify for a bone marrow transplant, you have to go back and do chemotherapy and hope that it can temporarily kill off all the cancer cells um, so you can qualify for a bone marrow transplant. And not everyone gets into remission. In fact, I don't know what the what the statistics are, but I, you know, I was I consider myself really lucky that through that course of chemotherapy, um, I was able to, I was one of the lucky ones to be able to get back into remission to qualify for the transplant. Um, so it was really good news. I accomplished kind of step one of the process. Um, then the doctors came and they they let me know. And I I, realize, I remember this moment so clearly. They They said, yeah, it's great you're in remission, but we've checked the entire global, national, local database for bone marrow donor matches for you. And um, we're really sorry to tell you that you don't have a match. 
And I was thinking to myself, oh my God, this is devastating. So the one and only known cure to help, you know, prolong my life um, uh, was not available, even mm. though I was able to get into remission. Uh, I'm a father of, of three kids, um, young kids, and all I can think about was the devastating thought of leaving leaving my kids without a father. Mm. And it was so hard for me. You know, years ago, uh, Be The Match came to our office and actually uh, many of us signed up on Be The Match 10, 10 or 12 years ago. And I remembered that, of course, they had to take DNA from us, you know, to 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 get very specific. So as I remember, uh, Charlie, it's a lot more strict and it's it's a lot more specific, right? Yeah, I think bone marrow matching is really based on uh, genetic matching um, more than anything else. So it's it's a very specific type of genetics that they look into, and it's really cutting edge scientific technology um, as to how they find the genetic match just because our genome is so complex. It's really more of an art than a science to be able to qualify. So, you know, they have a, a 10 out of 10 scale um, and each of these genetic markers they look at out of 10, um, the higher you are in that 10, the better the match is. But oftentimes, and I, I don't know if often, but sometimes even when you have that 10 of 10 match, um, it doesn't necessarily work out for the best because it, it, the body may not take initially that bone marrow. And if it doesn't, then, wow, you're in a world of trouble. Um, and secondarily, with bone marrow matching, um, what you do is you take that boner stem cell, the boner stem cells, and they start growing in your bone marrow. So you're growing the donor's um, cells, immunity cells. And oftentimes, the, the biggest problem that occurs is something known as graft versus host disease. Um, you're growing someone else's uh, immunity in your body. And if that foreign donor's immunity does not recognize your organs um, and recognizes it as foreign, something foreign to you, then th those cells start attacking your organs. And oftentimes, um, that leads to what's known as graft-versus-host disease, and sometimes graft-versus-host disease is fatal. Your donor cells will start attacking all your, your vital organs until the point your organs can't will fail, whether it's your, your lungs or your skin or something else or your kidney or your liver. You lose those functions and people perish. Um, those are the serious signs uh, of graft-versus-host disease. Um, the less serious... Um, side effects are like skin skin irritation, eye irritation, dry mouth, failure to produce some uh, saliva and whatnot. So it's really a tricky science on how they, they do this matching um, to find the right donor cells for you um, in when it comes to uh, bone marrow transplant. And it sounds similar, like as you're talking, it sounds like uh, 
organ donation, like you need to have the, the most perfect match possible, these markers that he's talking about. We use that in our, our donor education. And that's why we push uh, registration, getting folks from all ethnicities uh, to sign up. And one of the stories that we watched um, uh, talking about Charlie's Law, which we're, we're getting to um, based on, on what you went through, uh, they had talked about uh, reluctance for some to sign up for the bone marrow registry. So what are you finding? What have you learned through this journey? Oh, man. So um, so when, when my doctor told me that there were no matches, I started to really look a little bit more intensely at why this was happening uh, to me. And I, I realized this, it's for two, two reasons. Um, one is, so the white American um, genetic database of folks needing a match is usually white Americans have a much higher incidence of finding a donor match, somewhere between 78 and 80% of finding a match, a genetic match for bone marrow transplant. And minorities, such as Asian Americans, Black Americans, and um, Latin Americans have between a 35 to 40% chance of finding a match. So less than half or half of what white Americans um, have in matches. Part of that is because of a community hesitation in becoming a donor. Uh, But another part that I found out through my doctors was minorities often have a much more complex genetic makeup uh, for whatever reason that make it harder to find a match. Um, There are certain countries like in Germany where it's compulsory. It's like getting a driver's license. Everyone is required to become a, uh, submit a bone marrow uh, sample. So a lot of matches come from Germany, and we don't have, uh, you know, the, those standards in a lot of other places. Um, so uh, when I kind of heard this news, um, and I found out there was no match for me, I just, I was just, yeah. What do in you a do? Great yeah. State state of despair, um, and I I thought to myself, I said, hey. Uh, you know, can't sulk about it all the time in the hospital. So let's, well, this is such a terrible feeling that I'm experiencing right now. And uh, anyone else in the future, I never want them to go through exactly what I'm feeling. This, this hopelessness, this despair, and this, this, um, you know, this terrible feeling of sadness. So I thought, hey, if, if people can become voluntary organ donors through the DMV, why not do the same thing for bone marrow donation? And when you become an organ donor through the DMV, you go through some horrific accident and you, you save others when you lose your life. But becoming a bone marrow organ donor or bone marrow donor, you don't even have to go through that. They just harvest your stem cells. Um, well, first, they just swab your cheek if, to have you in the genet- genetic database bank. And if you're a match for someone, they just harvest your stem cells. And there's two ways to do that. One is through a, a apheresis machine where they just basically run tubes through your through your veins as you watch TV. 
for a few hours, five hours, six hours, and they harvest your cells that way, or the other way is a, a little bit more complicated. They put you under and then they harvest it through your, um, I guess, it, in some sort of surgical setting. But most of the time it's done through, through um, running the tubes through your veins uh, and you're awake for this whole process. And through that, five hours later, you save someone's life or potentially save someone's life. So I thought, wouldn't it be great to be able to utilize the California DMV as a starting off point to save many people's lives who are in need of a bone marrow donation? So through, with my legal background, I started sitting in the hospital bed with COVID and you, you're not allowed any visitors. So I just kind of took advantage of the time, if you will, and uh, drafted a proposed legislation uh, <laughs> that would allow people to become bone marrow donors through the DMV, that. check a box and have your, you know, your, your, your buckle swab taken, you mail it in to be the match and you're in the database. And then if there's ever a match for you through the entire world, you'll be called and you can save someone's life. I, I drafted it. I uh, sent it over to my friend who's a who's a assembly member, assembly member Evan Lowe, and he introduced the bill. And um, a few months ago, uh, the governor signed it into law. So this law will now be um, implemented in 2027. <laughs> It'll take a while. They told me the DMV needs a few years to update their systems to allow for this implementation. Um, but better late than never. So super excited about that. Wow. Okay. So, so all this is happening, and I, I don't know if I'd have created so much change while while waiting and figuring out <laughs> what's going to happen to me and mine. So every time we interview someone, I get inspired and things like, man, I should do, I should do more. <laughs> but we are talking to you today, so I'm assuming your personal story, in addition to helping countless others, had a happy ending, right? So tell us how how that happened with you and, and a donation. So, you know, I am super lucky to still be here today. It's been a year and a half since my transplant and I'm slowly recovering and, and, and getting better. Um, and uh, what ended up happening with me was I was able to find a donor in my brother who was initially um, disqualified and not allowed to be a donor for me because he was also a cancer survivor. Oh. And when you're a cancer survivor, you're, you're disqualified um, from becoming a bone marrow donor, partially because of the health and safety precautions for the donor, but also partially because of Kind of they like I said, it's really more more of an art than a science at this point. They don't know how aggressive and whether or not you'll inherit the cancer from your donor um, because so much of it is kind of genetic dependent. But when the doctors came and they checked and checked and checked and there were no matches for me, and the only match was was potential match was my brother. We had to go back to him, and they they tested him more rigorously than I think they tested me uh, yeah. um, to make sure that both of us would would be okay through this transplant. 
And I am ever so grateful for the selflessness of my brother and um, going through that despite his health issues um, to allow me to have some extra time to spend with my my beautiful family. Wow, Charlie, this is it's such an incredible story. You described a couple of words like hopelessness. You faced some big challenges. You also described hope and that you took action. And so through all of this, I mean, what do you have to say to people listening um, as far as not really educated in the area of bone marrow? Because, I mean, I don't know that I knew that much about it until listening to this. I swabbed my cheek, I think, years ago at an event because it just seemed like it was the right thing to do. I'm not tied to it in any way, but I'm glad that I am after listening to Charlie's story, yeah, right? Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. I think the greatest misperception or misconception about bone marrow donation is people always think, oh my God, I I don't want to be a donor because I don't want to go through the spinal tap Mm -hmm. and it's so painful. And why would I have to do that? And, and I know I can save a life, but God, it's just, it's just so terrible. And I don't want to go through that. And it's just such a misconception because literally, literally the only thing that you have to do is swab your cheek to get into the database. And after you're in the database, if they identify you as a match, then you can, then really the the process, and I'm not going to make light of it and makes and say it's it's really not a big deal because it is a big deal. You have to take some. They give you some some medication three days before to to kind of ramp up the increase of your stem cell production, so you kind of feel bloated and and heavy. But the but three days later, you sit in a chair in the easy chair or like a Barco lounger, as my brother described it. He had his phone in front of him. He sat there and there was one vein going in, one vein coming out, and they were harvesting his cells. Five hours later, he was done and he saved my life. Oh, you know? wow. And, and, and so. But you're right. I grew up listening to this scary process. Yeah. yeah. It's changed. Yeah. It's changed. It, yeah, it, there's, there's, yeah, there's, there's no anesthesia for him. There's no spinal tap for him. It was literally like giving blood. Um except a little bit longer or much longer. Um, yeah. So if people are out there and they hear about this, please just be, get in the database because unlike organ donation, you can actually be alive and save multiple lives if you're a match mm-hmm. for many people. Yeah. And if you're inclined to do that, how incredible would it be to to save someone else's lives? Because you're not just saving their lives. You're, you're saving the lives of all the all the family members that are directly impacted by that individual in need of a bone marrow transplant. Absolutely. And so great work. So yeah, with thank you. Yeah, with with this bill in California, you know, given California's genetic diversity, I am so hopeful that it will reach other segments of of our population in this world that would otherwise have a harder time finding a match. So hopefully we can start with California, but not end in California and, and other states will will continue to emulate um, what California has done, because it really does. Um, it really will save lots of lives at very little cost to the state. We're really literally adding a checkbox to your DMV application or your identification application. Um, and yeah. That's what I wanted to to touch on. Yeah, you're, you're, you're touching all of these lives 
while you're sick in a hospital bed, you know, writing this change in law, Charlie's Law. So you, it was just a simple Google. We did Charlie's Law, California. You're able to find that and read the finer points. Uh, but we love our OMV partners uh, for donation. Um, they learn about donation. They're able to have those conversations when somebody goes to the OMV. Do you want to be an organ donor? And they have these really meaningful conversations. If folks have questions, they're able to answer. So I'm curious what that looks like at the OMV. Is it a is it a box? How does the cheat get swabbed or how does that process look like? Um, you know, what change is this law going to make when it when it comes to life in 2027? So the schematic is basically when you apply or renew your driver's license or identification card, there'll be an extra box. It says, would you like to be a bone marrow donor? If you check yes, um, the DMV has your address on file. Be the Match, which is the National Marrow Donor Program, will send you a kit through the mail to your residence. Oh, nice. Um, in that kit, they have a swab. They base it with the instructions. You swab your cheek, you put it back into the return envelope um, in the container it's provided, and it goes in, in, in back to Be the Match. They enter it into the database, and you're in the database. That's nice. it. Nice. <laughs> well, it and, sounds so simple. It's like, why weren't we doing this before? <laughs> no, and it really is. And you're in the database, and you wait to be called. If if they've identified you as a match, they'll contact you and say, would you like to be a bone marrow donor? And at that point, it's an optional to you so whether or not you want to save somebody's life. And that's it. You say yes, they'll handle the rest of the procedure make the arrangements and schedule the preliminary testing and everything else. And that's it. We always talk about on this podcast, one person making a difference and you took your journey to help countless others. Like that's just pretty incredible. I know that I'm already part of, of Be The Match. I swabbed uh, my cheek. I think we were all talking about that when they came to, to Lopen. We learned more. Uh, BeTheMatch.org, um, if you're out there, if you haven't looked into it, if you hadn't thought about it, we had someone who came out and just kind of had a simple conversation, which was easy for me. So we do want you learning more um, and, and hopefully taking action. All right. So, Mr. Charlie, what's next for you? Wow. Um, how about continuing to stay alive and enjoying every single moment I have with with my loved ones and making new friends and uh, really just um, not overlooking the important things in life that we all tend to forget about sometimes as we are plugging away, uh, trying to make a name for ourselves in, in the world. Great lesson and what a legacy. Thanks for, for changing lives. Thanks for using your story to push forward and create positive change. Thank you so much for having me. And and uh, thank you for all the great work you guys are doing in saving lives. So um, I am so touched by, by all the great work that you guys are doing too. Taking a moment for mental health here on The Gifted Life. Yep, and I'm especially excited for this one because we've got props. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so I did. I brought this toolbox for, for y'all. She, she really did. I really do. I really have a toolbox. It's black and red. Yeah. So I know it's kind of, it might be silly, but for me, I like 
I love it. Um, so, you know, I'm a practicing counselor in the making, I guess. So I have to figure out who I'm going to be. And, you know, so I carry this toolbox around when I go see clients. And when they sit down, they're looking at the toolbox and they're wondering what's in it. We're going fishing? Yeah. <laughs> right. Actually, yeah. I'm also wondering. <laughs> I know. So I do always have candy because I need sugar constantly and I like to share. Chocolate makes me happy. But I also have lots of cards and little like spinners and things that kind of help people when they're yeah when they're nervous. Um, But the whole reason I even brought the toolbox or I even referring to a toolbox is because sometimes you'll hear in the mental health world somebody will say like what's in your toolbox? What are your coping skills? So so if you had to hang a picture you're not going to get a screwdriver to hang the picture. You're going to go to a toolbox and you're going to grab your hammer. So for coping skills, if you can't name your coping skills, it makes it hard for you to refer to it when you need one. So if you realize that you're really kind of struggling with something, um, I don't know, sadness, uh, anger, frustration, boredom, whatever it might be, if you can start naming things, so name how you're feeling and think, okay, what works when I'm feeling this. And, you know, we work, you know, Lopa, we, we deal with a lot of grief. And so even for grief, I mean, I have a stack of cards that is, um, it's all about healing. And so for my clients, sometimes I'll give them one card to take home. And then when they come back, they can kind of talk about the answers to this card and kind of explore. Uh, for instance, it says, you may not be able to see it now, However, after a loss, you will rebuild yourself. You have been given an opportunity to create yourself anew. Who will you be now? So this might be somebody that comes in two years outside of their, you know, of their loss, and they're still struggling because someone who is a, you know, a sister without their sister has to discover who am I now with my sister gone. So these are just some of the things. But like if you're still using coping skills from when you're 15, and I'm not even going to share some of my coping skills from 15, (laughs) but I mean, like they're not going to work for me as well at 55. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to figure out what what new coping skills can I put in my toolbox? And, you, and you're growing, so you always want to be finding new tools, experimenting, exploring. And so you can even break down coping skills. I mean, you can do, um, you can divert yourself, such as like photography, writing, singing. Um, there's also special uh, coping skills for social or interpersonal um, I don't know, distractions, which can be, you can go serve someone else. If if someone is really hurting or, or I'll say, struggling, sometimes I'll suggest go help someone else. And and that, you're, you're getting outside of your own thoughts mm-hmm. to, to explore with someone else. So uh, talking to someone that you trust, you can talk to anybody, but you need to find that person that, you know, your person that trusts, that you can build that trust. Your cognitive things that make you think, um, you can make a gratitude list. You can also act opposite. So if you're mad, you can try to act happy. And sometimes trying to make that switch can help. Um, there's tension coping skills. So I don't, like, I'm not really good at running. I don't know. Are, are y'all a runner? Mm-hmm. I wish I was. I mean, I... I, I try to move. It's but. part of my exercise. So on Saturday and Sunday mornings, uh, I run with Blakely. That's my thing. Oh, his kid. Mm-hmm. I think I might be able to keep up with the two-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> she's in the stroller. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so you're, you're actually running, pushing her. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, and you know what? Crying is also one. that, and, and sometimes you can tell people fight back tears. And 
cry. It's 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 a release. And when you're doing tension building um, or tension release, you want to cry. When you hold that in, it's toxic sometimes. So you can do that with someone, but that might be hard to do. Or you can go find a place if it's out in nature, if it's in a closet, wherever it might be. But that cry helps heal. Um, Then there's physical, like getting your sleep, drinking water, eating healthy, sometimes eating chocolate. I have my toolbox. I do have chocolate in here. I need a bobblehead of Nyla for my (laughs) Just like, talk to you today, Nyla. (laughs) And then, you know, last, I don't know, two more spiritual, like meditating. People will go, oh, yeah, I'm spiritual. And if you ask, well, tell me about that. Sometimes they Mm -hmm. can't. I mean, to say you're spiritual and you're you're not exploring that, well, then that might be an area that you want to fill your toolbox. And the last one, just limit setting. I mean, saying no, that can be a coping skill. And it's hard, so you have to practice. That's a tough one, too. Yeah, Yeah, it's a sentence. No. Did you know that? I know, but you kept it quiet, and I felt like I had to say something. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Silence is a coping skill. If you Mm -hmm. want to get somebody talking, just sit there silently, and it just, people get weird. Mm -hmm. You're just pulling me in. Yes. So, anyway, you can go on, you can Google coping skills, and um, I would suggest talking to people, find out what's working for them, especially in grief. You know, they're there might be somebody that's two years ahead of you or two steps ahead of you, but that person might offer you something that you think, I'm going to try that. Mm-hmm. I so, talked to my husband a lot, and I said, you get to hear all the thoughts in my head all day. And he says, lucky me. <laughs> but he listens. <laughs> He's good at that. So that's my person. I heard you See say it, one Mike will fit in your toolbox. I need to get a bubble head of everyone, all my friends, <laughs> my A-team. All right. Thank you so much for that. Um, and we love the toolbox. Y'all are welcome to peek in at any time. (laughs) You have a topic you'd like for us to cover here on The Gifted Life? All you have to do is email us. We'd love it. Info at thegiftedlife.org. In our question and answer segment today, I registered as an organ donor, and since then, I had lung cancer. I had an upper left lung lobectomy, but lymph nodes were clear. I didn't have any chemo or radiation. My question is, can I still be a donor? Some people say no, but I want to make sure. So I'm glad you came here. I'm glad you're asking these questions. Yep. So the, the, the quick answer for our listener is that yes, uh, especially the fact that there was no involvement in lymph nodes or anything else. That meant that it was encapsulated and it was removed just surgically. Just surgically. But in general, most cancers, if, if you've been cancer-free for five years, then you can still become an organ donor. You can still donate. Uh, obviously, it, it, it depends on certain cancers, but in the general rule of thumb is five years out, completely free of cancer, uh, you can uh, donate. What people need to remember is saying yes to donation is, is the true gift of organ donation. So, so uh, don't rule yourself out. We talk about this, you know, it doesn't All the matter. Time, yeah. We're talking, you know, we're talking about cancer here, but whatever your your comorbidity or your ailments might be, don't think that, well, there's no way uh, that that anyone would want any of these organs. Well, the, the fact is most comorbidities, most most health issues don't affect all organs. So, don't rule yourself out and say yes. Yeah, and we're talking organ, tissue, eye donation, and research. Right. A lot of ways to help others. All right, so if you have a question for us, all you have to do is give us a call, 504-648-3477. 
In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero is Sawyer Ridgway. And we learn about Sawyer from his family. Sawyer Scott was the typical little boy and always the center of attention. His crystal blue eyes lit a room like a Christmas tree. His smile was contagious and he could rock a mohawk. He loved the outdoors, especially exploring muddy puddles in his rubber boots, swinging with his big sister, riding his power wheels and camping. He would have made an excellent husband someday because of his love for mopping, sweeping and laundry. But there was one thing he loved more than anything. That was superheroes, his favorite being Spider-Man. His sweet, caring, beautiful heart was set on saving people, which meant becoming a superhero someday. Although I know that dreams do change as we get older, his dream to become a superhero came true at the age of three. Two days before Christmas, our baby boy entered eternal life and graduated to heaven due to an unavoidable tragic auto accident, leaving our hearts shattered. Within a couple of hours following his heavenly graduation, we were contacted by Lopa to give the gift of life. Our yes came approximately 15 minutes into the conversation. We knew that a child somewhere was lying in a hospital bed while his or her parents were on their knees begging God for a miracle. We agreed that we couldn't stand the thought of another family spending Christmas grieving over the loss of their child. I'll never forget the reason for that phone call and the feeling of numbness and sadness that took over my body. But I will also never forget the result of that phone call and the joy I feel in my heart today. Organ donation is a light in a dark place, a hope for our tomorrows, and the gift of life from a stranger. It's a generous gift we make to help others by giving life-saving gifts at no cost. Although our lives will never know normalcy again, we made a promise to our superhero to keep his memory alive. Until my last breath on earth, Ma will do just that. Mom shared even more about Sawyer, and you can read the full story at lopa.org backslash heroes. Now we pause and say thank you to Sawyer for the gift of life. Episode 206 of The Gifted Life in the books. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, you can register as an organ, eye, and tissue donor anytime. Registerme.org. Thanks to Charlie Wong for coming on, sharing his story, and of course, just making such change. It's funny, we talked about it, you know, while he's in bed with COVID, and of course, thinking of others and how can I make this big change for others, not just myself. So, Big, big thanks to him for thinking of others. And of course, you know, bone marrow donation is a big thing for us as well. I know we we do specialize, of course, in organ and tissue donation for both transplant research. But part of that research has been for bone marrow research. And we've been working with Osseum Health actually for a few years. You can listen to our episode. We had them on on episode 114 where we talked all about that and all, all about the need for stem cell research, especially with with bone marrow transplants, so uh, so we've been working with them for a few years, and uh, we'll have to bring them back on because they're now at a point where it's no longer considered research, where it'll actually be used for transplant for patients like Charlie Wong. I think that's crazy how you can see how we're getting to watch how the research just yeah. yeah 
goes into to what they're looking for. I mean, they're making differences now. Now it's going to be treatment. Yeah. All right, guys, you're interested in bone marrow donation. You can go to bethematch.org. We enjoy working with them as well. So it's bethematch.org for bone marrow donation. The best place to find us is on our website, The Gifted Life. Listen there and find links to listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating. It really helps others to find us. And on social media, we know you're on there. Like our page on Facebook, The Gifted Life Podcast. You can also follow us on both Twitter and Instagram at Gifted Life Pod. Our ask is that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. We're one big team. Until next time. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreaux, and Nyla Schwab. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Carraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. Mm-hmm.